finished our first series of God is Real. I want to talk to you today about the vision of our church. It's always good to keep that front and center because vision tends to dissipate, leak. Uh, we, we lose sight of it over time. And if you don't keep the vision of this community of faith front and center, after a while you just sort of get bored and you're just sort of going through the motions. So I want to talk to you on the theme of Reach the One today from an obscure and in some ways a disturbing story. The kids are going to like this one. If I can get their attention, they're really going to find this story interesting. Uh, this is a story, it's obscure, it's a bit disturbing, it's often avoided, but I'm going to look at it today from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30 in the New Testament, and you can also find the same story in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. This is a story of a woman and her demon-possessed daughter and the experience that she has with Jesus. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible and you can find your way to the New Testament, if you can get to Matthew or Mark, then you can make it to this story. Trust me, you will really like this one. It's very unusual. So I'll read it from Mark, okay? Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Jesus left that place, and the place there would be the region of Galilee. I'll show you that in a minute where it was. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, woman who has no name here, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her child, her daughter. We do not know how old her daughter was. And Jesus says to her here, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Strange statement from Jesus. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. It's helpful to read the account in Matthew as well. I'm going to read that to you too, because I know you're stunned a bit by what Jesus has said here. And Matthew's runs like this. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. But Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, 
Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Another bizarre statement. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Very strange and disturbing story, especially because of the things that Jesus says and how he addresses this woman. It's important to know, first and foremost, where we are uh, in the story. If you put the map on the screen there, uh, I knew you couldn't see much of this, but you can see the arrows, yes? You see those white arrows? Little kids, can you see the arrows on the screen? Yes, you can? Alright. I want you to look at the arrows there. Now, the region that Jesus had been in was in the center of the screen. We call that today the Sea of Galilee. Alright? And what he's going to do is he's going to go up north there to where those two arrows at the top are. The one that's kind of down a little bit is the city of Tyre. And the one that's up at the top is the city of Sidon. So he's going up to that region there. And he wants apparently some peace and quiet. He doesn't want anybody to know where he is going. He wants to keep his presence secret, presumably because he may want some rest or he he may want to have a time of prayer. We don't know, we're not told, except that he wanted his presence kept secret, alright? The arrow at the bottom of the screen is the land of the Canaanites, or sometimes we say the Canaanites, alright? And this is, all this side, this western side by the Mediterranean Sea is all non-Jewish. This is all Gentile, this is all non-essentially non-believing area in that time. And this is the area that Jesus is going in, up at the top on the left-hand side, the area of Tyre and Sidon. And he's going to do this miracle, this rather strange miracle with this woman and her child. Okay? Now, in between those two arrows that you see at the top is a town called Zarephath. Now, if you're back in the first century and you're experiencing this whole thing with Jesus... Or you're reading the story and you're, you're living that time. When, where Jesus is going and what Jesus did, there's little bells going off in your head, ding, ding, ding. Because in the Old Testament, there is a story that has some similarities where the prophet Elijah provides miraculous flour and oil for a widow who lives in Zarephath. And the story back then, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, is that Elijah, after prophesying that there would be no rain in the land, it happens and there's this drought. And God sends Elijah right up in between those two arrows up there to this town called Zarephath. And he runs into this widow, a woman whose husband was dead, and her son. 
And the widow is preparing sticks to make a last meal for her and her son that they may die afterwards because she knows she doesn't have enough flour, she doesn't have enough oil, they're going to die. So they're going to have a last meal and perish due to starvation and dehydration. There's no water. Elijah runs into them and uh, the, the situation is explained and Elijah says, don't worry, go and make me a cake, give me a little bit of water because God has spoken, your flour is not going to run out and your oil is not going to run out, you're going to have enough. And lo and behold, it comes to pass and the woman and her son are hospitable to Elijah and he lives there for a period of time in their house. And then the son dies. We don't know how. He stopped breathing and he dies. The woman is very upset and she says, If you come here, Elijah, to remind me of my sin and kill my son. And so Elijah says, Don't worry. He takes the son, brings the son upstairs to a private room. He throws himself on top of the son. And he prays that his life would return to him, that his breath would return to him three times. And the, the, the son comes back to life. And he brings him downstairs and he says, woman, behold your son. Now, here you have Jesus taking a journey hundreds of years later. He's apparently got his disciples with him. And he's going right up in the same area. So they know the story. This is a very famous story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. And she is going to run, or, or Jesus is going to run into a woman who has a child who is in dire, dire need. She is probably a widow. There's no mention of the husband. Uh, it's, we, we, we may safely assume this. We don't know for sure, but she probably is a widow in that time, in that particular setting, for the husband not to be mentioned and this great need to happen. Probably she is uh, without a husband at the time. And this appears to be the only time in the gospel narrative that Jesus journeys up into this area. Uh, and uh, he, he even told the disciples not to share the gospel there. Matthew chapter 10 verses 5 and 6. He sends the 12 out, gives them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And he says, do not go among the Gentiles or to any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And yet Jesus is going up into Gentile country, into non-Jewish country. Interesting. Again, presumably to rest, presumably to spend some time with the Father, but he wants his presence unknown. And here we can see as we read the story and understand the background, Jesus had every reason to ignore this woman's plight he had every reason, every excuse, and they were justified excuses to ignore this woman. He could have used a personal reason to ignore her. Again, Mark 7, 24, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. He did not want people to know where he was. He did not want people, therefore, around him for whatever reason, for a period of time. And if anybody had a reason to do that, it would be Jesus himself. After all the ministry and all the pouring out that he was doing, he's God, yes, but he's also man. And if, if anyone had a reason to unplug for a bit and to recharge, as it were, it would have been Jesus. 
uh, and yet he he does not do that. He still engages in a discussion uh, with this woman after all of the the personal time of ministry that he had spent. He still gives her the time of day, as it were. He could have also used a cultural reason. Uh, there, this is almost this is almost too extreme. I mean, number one, she's a woman, and he's up in Gentile country. She is a woman. She's not just a woman. She is a Syrophoenician Canaanite. So she is as far from God, as Gentile, as non-Jewish as can be. He's not even supposed to be talking to her. He is a Jewish rabbi and he's having a dialogue with that. She's a Canaanite. She's a Syrophoenician Greek Gentile. And yet Jesus is having this discussion with her. It's very taboo. It's very counterculture for Jesus to do this. I like this image that I found. It's very hard to research the story because it's so obscure. But you see the look on the faces of the disciples. What are you doing talking to this woman? And the scripture even says we're trying to get rid of her. She keeps coming to us. She keeps crying out after us. We're not supposed to be talking with her. She is a woman, A. She's a Syro-Phoenician, Greek, Canaanite. As far from God as can be. And we don't want to talk to her. And Jesus, you're, you're, what are you doing talking to this person? And he has a cultural reason. The, the, the culture would have forbade this. And yet Jesus still engages and has a, a, a profound discussion with this woman despite her background. Um, we see she says to him, uh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She, she is claiming something that in the mind of the disciples is not rightfully hers. She's using terms addressing Jesus as if she's Jewish and as if he is her, her savior. And she is claiming something there that in their mind, what are you doing? So Jesus has a cultural reason, he has a personal reason, and he even has a religious reason to ignore this woman and not speak to her. In fact, in Matthew, it says, after she says those words, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, Jesus did not answer. He says nothing, which the disciples probably say, good, you're saying nothing. But then she pursues and Jesus continues the dialogue. He could have used a religious reason. And the religious reason was that in the plan of God, salvation was first for the Jews. First for Israel. We can see this as kind of a priority if we survey the scripture. And the idea is that that, that God comes to, to redeem Israel and then the, the, the those people... Go and reach the Gentile world. This is the general idea that we see in the Bible. Look at what Jesus says. First, let the children eat all they want. He's using, uh, he's using a metaphor here, talking about the children being the, the, the Jewish people. Let the children eat all they want. Healing is for them first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And we say, wow, that is a harsh, harsh term that Jesus is using. What is he, an American politician? I won't use the name. Using this, using this word and talking to this woman. Some of you watched the debate, yes. 
So we say, well, what is he doing? Where's this loving Jesus? She's, is he calling this woman a dog? Well, you have to understand back in that culture, non-Jewish people, Gentile people, this is the way that they were referred to. This, and you see this term uh, spilled throughout the scripture. They were referred to with this rather condescending term. And Jesus is using this term to, he's playing with the language here to test her. And he says, look, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Or in Matthew, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And he's, he's, he's saying, this is not right what I'm doing, is it? I'm having this conversation with you. I shouldn't be having this conversation with you. I was sent only to Israel, wasn't I? And you can almost see the little twinkle in his eye here as you read the narrative. And yet Jesus engages uh, in the dialogue. And we see kind of, uh, it's kind of astounding to see this woman's faith and her understanding and her humility, even though she's as apparently as far off from God as you can be, she gets it. She talks to him and uses the term Lord. She talks to him and uses the term Son of David. She's very persistent. So Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, he doesn't answer a word. Uh, even the even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She says, and uh, and Jesus and she says to Jesus, "Yes, it is, Lord. Yes, it is." Uh, and she's pushing back. And you see this terminology that she's using. Wow, what persistence she has. What an understanding she has. And she is not Israel. She is not Jewish. She's as far off as far can be. And she has a a tremendous amount of humility because she's willing to play with the system there to get what she needs. And that is deliverance for her daughter. It's as if she's saying when she makes this statement, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs back in that. That day, um, you had two kinds of dogs. You had dogs that were kind of wild and on the loose, and they were uh, in some ways a little bit dangerous. In some cultures, you still see this today, where you see these kinds of stray dogs. And uh, on in different missions trips that I've been on in different cultures, I've seen this. You see these dogs running around, and you're like, man, those dogs look a little bit dangerous. But then you also had these dogs that would live in the homes. They were they were smaller, and they, this is what Jesus and this lady are talking about. And they would eat the little table scraps that the children at the table would throw to them. And they would eat the scraps. And so she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, yeah, I know I'm not Israel. Yeah, I know. But I want the promise of healing anyway. I want the deliverance that you offer anyway. Because hey, even the children throw those crumbs to those little dogs. So give me my little crumb. Is basically what she's saying. And in verse 27, before that, uh, you know, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat those crumbs. And she's she's pushing back is what she's doing. And she's got a very, very persistent faith. She's got humility. She's willing to play the game, as it were. But she wants to see her daughter delivered. She wants those crumbs. She said, all I need is a crumb. And my daughter is going to be healed. That is some faith. And Jesus answers her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon 
has left your daughter. Pow! Instantaneous. He doesn't even have to be in the presence of the of the girl. We don't know how old she is. The only time that we see this with a with a non-Jewish person, a Gentile, is the uh, the the Roman centurion who has a servant who needs healing and he understands authority and he goes to Jesus and he has a dialogue with Jesus and pow! Jesus heals the person not even doesn't even have to be in his presence. And he, and he says it another way in Matthew. You have great faith. Your request is granted. Her daughter was healed at that moment. There are many lessons that we have to learn uh, about this narrative as it relates to the vision of our church. Number one, just in passing, uh, this woman is a Gentile. She is from the land of Canaan. She's Syrophoenician. She's Greek. And look at her faith. Look at her understanding of Jesus. Look at her understanding of who He is. We must never assume when we're interacting with people who are not church people, who are not what we think uh, in terms, well, this person must be very, very far from God. We must never assume that they are so far from God. Sometimes they have understanding in things that they say that would put some Christians to shame. It's, this is where it gets quiet. <laughs> Never assume these things about, about so-called non-believing people. Sometimes they're a lot closer than we think that they are. This woman certainly was. How she understood these things and how she ascertained it is anyone's guess. But she was very, very on the mark. And Jesus was very, very impressed uh, by her faith and by her persistence. But there's three things that we see here, at least three Jesus had justifiable reasons to ignore her and to not reach her and to not reach her daughter. He had justifiable reasons. And sometimes in today's culture and context, we who are who profess faith, we think we have these reasons as well. So a personal reason this can show itself today in our minds uh, as people, again, who profess to be followers of Jesus as well. I need things. Um, I need to worship. I need to learn. I need to grow. Um, it, it, some people use the term, I need to be fed. Uh, I need to rest. I need community. These kinds. These are not invalid needs. These are justifiable needs that the believer has. But let me, let me unlock a door for you. Those needs, if those needs are all that the believer has in their heart and all that they're looking for, the believer will keep searching for them and will always come short. If part of your needs and part of your expression of your faith is not reaching the one who is far from God and sharing the Jesus that you already have in your heart, Maybe you don't know much about him, but he's there. If, even if you're a, a baby Christian, as it were, if part of your whole expression of faith is not sharing the gospel with people and not serving with the gifts that God has given you, then you're going to search for the rest and you'll come up dry. I can tell you in my own experience, I got bored of church very quickly. I find church boring and I'm a pastor. Okay, I got bored of it very quickly 
The only thing that excites me about church uh, is the people who I get to be with every time that we meet. But I get excited about sharing the gospel with lost people. That charges my batteries. After about a year and a half in church, I could predict what the sermon was going to be. I could hear what the pastor was preaching. I was like, I know where he's going. I know his points. I know all of these things. It's boring. But when I began to challenge myself and say, you know what? I need to start serving and I need to start sharing my faith. And I need to stop being so arrogant. And I need to go out there and reach people who are lost and people who are far from God. Oh, then church started to get exciting. Because I was trying to interact with people who were far from God at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? It's got to be the whole package has to be part of, of what you desire. And I fear that a lot of times, because we either we struggle with the area, or because we need to learn how to do it, or whatever, we make up all these excuses, that we just say, ah, sharing my faith is just, I can't do it. And I need this, 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 and this. Well, if you don't learn to share your faith, and if you don't learn to serve with the gifts that God has given you, you'll always be reaching for the rest, and you're not going to find it until you start giving what you have away. This is a personal excuse that we can use, and it seems valid. But upon close inspection, I think that it is not very compelling. There's a cultural reason that we could use uh, today, and this can show itself here, uh, especially in the province of Quebec, which has very, is very, uh, has its own peculiarities. Uh, the province of Quebec, and, and it's extremely multicultural here, extremely. Uh, but the cultures are very different from one another. And a person can say, you know, they're at work and they can say, how am I supposed to share my relationship with God and what I know about Jesus with this person over here? The person is a, for example, a hardline sovereignist. That's, that's who they are. That's what they talk about all the time. How am I supposed to share my faith with such a person? Or the person is living in such and such a, you know, immoral relationship. How am I supposed to, I'm so, I'm, I'm not like this person. I don't even know if I like the person. How am I supposed to share my faith with the person? I don't even know if I want to talk to the person. Well, the person is, um, can I say it? The person's, uh, they're gay. How am I supposed to share my faith with this person? I have nothing in common with them. I talked to a person the other day, and her daughter is a teen, and she's, uh, even though there's kids in the room, you can tell your parents, you can tell your kids what it means when they're a lot older, okay? And, uh, and she's got a, a teenager, the teenager's transgender. And I'm having a discussion with this lady about God. It was an interesting discussion, let me tell you. And we can use all of these kinds of things to say, what do I have in common with this person? This person's a, can I say it? A Muslim. What do I have in common with them? What am I supposed to talk about with them? They're a Muslim. I'm not. And we have all these cultural things and we could say, man, I'm running and hiding. I'm going to bury my head in the sand and I'm going to, I'm going to go to church. Anytime a church has anything, I just go to church all the time. But I, I just, the culture is too wild, it's too bizarre, it's too this, it's too that. And these can seem valid, and you know, I suppose for a time we can convince ourselves that they're very valid. What about religious? 
Well, we need to come out and be separate. We need to be holy. God said be holy and we need to be holy. You're, you're not going to hear, um, you're not going to hear somebody who is more passionate about holiness uh, than me. I am very, very passionate about the subject of holiness. But I don't see in the scripture that the Great Commission is supposed to cost us our holiness. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if we go and we try to reach people, then we're going to end up being like them. They're, they're going to contaminate us a little bit. And we, we, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them to turn to us. We need to pray for them to turn to God. But we don't want to be with them because we don't want to be contaminated by them. We don't want somehow to become like them, even as we're trying to discuss Jesus with them. And I think for some there is a time for that. I think for some there is a time where you, you better not. Because you're new in your faith and you're going to get shaken and all of that. I think for some there is a time. But there comes a time where you have to say, listen, with the power of the Spirit in my life, I can share Jesus with people and I don't have to live like them. And I don't have to become like them. The great commission of going and making disciples should not cost us our holiness. And we can sometimes use religion... As a way to avoid what Jesus commanded us to do. You look at what what God thinks of religion in the scripture. It's quite interesting. The half-brother of Jesus, James, talks about religion. And he says it this way. In James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Here we go. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Uh, This woman may have been a widow. We're not sure in the story that we looked at. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And there you have the balance. You're going and caring and caring for and reaching the one, but you are not compromising in who you are as a believer. Jesus talked about being in the world, but not of the world. And this is what people need to see, that there are people in this world who profess Jesus, who can have relationships with non-Christian people. And who can talk with them and share their faith with them. And yet they don't have to adopt their lifestyle. And they don't have to compromise it. And yet they can still love the people. And this is exactly what Jesus did in the story. He was able to reach this person, to reach her daughter without compromising. Or her child, I think it's a daughter. He was able to do that without compromising. Even though he's superseding what for him would be very valid needs, personal, religious, cultural, he's still able to say, you know what, this person has great faith and I'm going to reach her and I'm going to reach her daughter. And we can learn from this because our vision as a church is to reach the one who is far from God. This is what excites me. You're going to hear this. You're going to hear this from me from time to time. Because this is why my wife and I are doing what we're doing. Because we want to reach people who are far from God. The farther from God, the better. The more Canaanite, the better. The more Syrophoenician, the better. Because those are the people who God's heart is after. 
All of us were in that were in that boat. And God came to reach us. Well, we need to do the same thing. We need to give our faith away and share Jesus with a lost community. I have heard the statistic and lived the statistic in the province of Quebec for so long where we're reaching 1%. Where 1% of people in this province are like you. And they find themselves in, a, in an evangelical context in a church every weekend. You're the 1%. Well, what about the other 99? And we can, we can, I've heard so many different um, rationales behind this. And people say, well, we, we need to, we need to pray for the 99%. Absolutely, we need to pray for the 99%. But you know something? The 99% is going to remain 99% if we don't invite them. I've heard people who, who, who are passionate about praying on the surface for lost people. But they never invite them to church. Never. Ask yourself the question. As a professing believer in this room. And I believe all of you are. At some, at some shape in, in, the, in the walk as a Christian. Have you ever. I'll ask you two questions. Have you ever invited someone to church? You don't have to raise your hand. Just ask yourself the question to yourself. Second question, have you ever led someone to a personal relationship with Jesus? This is the great commission and it should not cost us our holiness. It didn't cost Jesus his, it shouldn't cost us ours. And I'm not, I'm not prepared to ask you to do something that I'm not doing myself. Uh, this past week, I was serving like I, like I have been for months over at uh, Mission Nouvelle Génération there, where I've been promoted to the meat counter, and you know, I actually get to touch money now when they buy meat. You know, it's only one dollar, two dollars, three dollars at a time, or whatever. But you know, they, they, they say, well, you look responsible, you're supposed to be a pastor, so we'll put you over there at this meat counter. And I'm interacting with these guys who I serve with. Some of them have gotten out of jail. I mean, they're, they're, they're as far from God as you can be. And I'm interacting with these people. And this one individual, uh, a couple of weeks ago, said something. And I challenged him on what he said. I won't get into what it was about because he's probably going to come to our church and I don't want to embarrass him. Uh, but I challenged him on what he said. And he kind of backed off a little bit and he was a bit embarrassed, a bit red-faced. And then this past Thursday... He says to me, one of the first things that he says to me, he says, I apologize. I shouldn't have said that and I apologize for what I said. And I said, well, I forgive you. Because in the conversation that took place a couple of weeks ago, when he said what he said, I said, you know, you shouldn't say this, this and this. And he said, well, why? Well, who, who are you? I said, well, you know, I, I, I'm an ordained minister. <laughs> His face kind of turned a little bit red and he was embarrassed and everything. Really? You're a, yeah. So he said, I'm sorry, I apologize, I should have said that. I said, well, I forgive you. And we started talking as we were serving together. And he said, so, so you're a, like a pastor? I mean, do you do that like full time? And I said, well, yes. And he said, well, where's your church? I said, well, our church is in, is in the Zistran. He, he said that Zistran. And he was in shock, you know. I said, well, we're in the movie theater. He said, the movie theater? 
I said, yeah, we're in the movie theater on Saturday mornings at the Zistran. Really? So he said, do you use like the big screen there? And you put your PowerPoint there? I said, well, yeah, that's exactly what we do. He says, well, what kind of music you have in your church? I said, well, it's very contemporary. You would like it. So we got electric drums and electric guitar. Really? I said, you should come. We're starting a new series next week. You should come. Yeah, maybe I'll come and see your show. What kind of church is it? Are you Jewish church? Jewish church? I mean, this guy's all mixed up. He said, what kind of church are you? I said, well, we're an evangelical church. We believe the Bible. So you're not Catholic? He said, no, we're not Catholic. He said, well, what's the difference? Oh, I mean, we had quite the conversation, me and this fellow. But you see, I've won a little bit of his respect because I'm standing there serving with him every Thursday. And I'm winning a little bit of his respect and I can challenge him a little bit. And there's a relationship that's developing. It's not costing me my holiness. It's costing me some time. But it's not costing me my holiness. And I'm going to invite him. My wife volunteers two, three times a week uh, over at the elementary school that our daughter went to. And she gets to dialogue with non-believing people, non-Christian people. Man, let me tell you some of the views that they have of Christianity and the church. And for, and for the most part, they're not too good. They need to see examples of people who have a vibrant relationship with God, who are willing to give it away. And you can do that, and that's how we reach the one who is far from God. It doesn't matter how young you are in your faith. If you've got faith, you've got enough. You can share the Jesus that you know. And if you don't know the answer to the question, say you don't know. I've had people ask me questions while I'm sharing my faith. What you, what's this? What's this? I say, I have no clue. <laughs> Why does God do this and not this? I said, I have no clue. But that, that's being honest. And I'm telling you, nothing charges my batteries more than sharing my faith with people who are far from God. And that's the vision, that's the heart uh, that we have as a church. We're doing something next week that you can, you can get involved in, in this challenge today. Uh, and, and for some, I know this is a stretch. For some, you say, man, this is tough, this is uncomfortable. Well, I'm going to raise the bar for you nice and high. Because people like a challenge. I'm going to raise the bar for you, for you nice and high. We made up these, these door hangers and these invitations uh, for our next series. And our next series that we're starting next week, Saturday morning, is called R-Rated Relationships. Do you know how many people in the city of Brossard are involved in relationships? Married, not married... Maybe it's the relationships with them and their kids, relationships with them and their boss, whatever. It crosses every person's life. And do you know how many of those relationships are all messed up? They're all broken to pieces. There's so many problems and dysfunction and this and that and conflict. They're R-rated. They don't want anyone to know what's going on behind closed doors in those homes and those relationships. Well, we're going to talk about those things and look at what the scripture has to say because it's loaded with information about relationships. This is the heart of God is how people relate to one another. And we're going to do it uh, over five weeks there. You've got the whole schedule on these on these invitations that you were given. We're doing something for the kids 
uh, next Saturday because of the weekend. And yes, it's Halloween, but we're going we're gonna to do something for them in their context and talk about the subject of fear. Where is God when I'm scared? And the old story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, from the book of Daniel, talking about fear. So they're going to have a double feature there. We're going to bring the popcorn in for the kids. We're going to bring the, co- the the donuts in for the adults. I want you to feel challenged to invite your friends. You've got 12 door hangers here in a little rubber band. I don't know why we chose 12. There's 12 disciples, so we chose 12. <laughs> okay? And what you're going to do, here's your challenge. Your challenge is to get rid of all 12. Maybe there's a door that you can hang it on. Maybe there's a conversation that you're having with a person and you can hand it out. But your challenge is all 12 have to be gone this week. And you say, well, I am terrified of this. Well, if you can take a thing and put it on a door then that's a step in the right direction. And I'm planning after this service to take a team out and to do that because we have piles of them in our trunk. Uh, and I'm going to take people to lunch and then we're going to go and we're going to do it this afternoon right there by the Zistran. We're going to door hang the place because people in the city of Bras are far from God. You can give these to anybody you want. I don't care if they live in Timbuktu. But challenge yourself to say, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to reach the one from God. And your challenge is to get rid of all 12. I promise you, you will not be embarrassed by what will take place over the next five weeks. A lot of people don't invite their friends to church because they're embarrassed by their church. They're embarrassed by the music. They're embarrassed by their preacher. They're embarrassed by the way the place looks. I promise you, you will not be embarrassed. You will be very proud of the fact that we're going to do, we're designed a series to reach people who are far from God. And it's going to bless you too, because you're involved in relationships and you're going to learn things from the scripture that are going to improve those relationships and make them more, um, uh, more beneficial, more rewarding, more of a blessing in your life than a curse. Because <laughs> some of you, your relationships are like that. They feel terrible. Well, we're all going to look at it together from the word of God. Does that sound like a plan? So that's your challenge, your challenge today. And I know it's tough. Listen, this is tough for me. Uh, It is tough, but you will experience no greater thrill than when you begin to share your faith and you actually begin to see a response of people and you're learning how to do that. Can I pray with you? And I'd ask the worship team if they would come and they're going to close in that song uh, that we, we learned up at the top. And I just want to pray with you today. And then we're just going to do that song and let you go. And uh, those of you who want to stay behind and you you may have gotten an email from me and you say, oh, I'd like to take this challenge this afternoon and door hanger with you. You're welcome to do that with me. But the rest of you, if you want.